Hello, everybody. Welcome to IntelliCast. This is one of our special holiday best of editions. Uh, this is going to be part one. Producer Brian joining me today as we intro um, some best of segments. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing pretty good. How about uh, yourself? Doing all right. I'm excited about this this episode, and it's bringing back memories. Um, this first one is with John and um, Jeremy Zogby of John Zogby Strategies, and it was an honor to have John Zogby on, and, and Jeremy Zogby as well, as he's been on a few times. But this was the first time they were both on. Talking about Intelligence here, a partnership we have with them, and just their background. Like, I could have talked to the Zogbys forever, I think. They're fascinating, and um, I've, I've you know promoted them a lot and spoke very highly of them in the past, but um, they deserve it. And so I'm excited to – hopefully you all enjoy this interview if you haven't heard it yet. Did you enjoy it, Brian? Anything you want I to add? did. Yeah, I think it was a great interview. You got an idea if you don't listen to their – podcast uh the zogby report real and unscripted you got an idea of what you would get if you do listen to it yeah absolutely so uh with no further ado here is john and jeremy zogby of john zogby strategies joining us now i am super excited to have both jeremy zogby who is the partner at john zogby strategies and john zogby the senior partner at john zogby strategies hey guys how are you brian how are you today oh Great, man. I'm so glad we had Jeremy on um, earlier this year, and I'm super excited to have both of you all on the podcast today to talk about kind of some exciting research that we're doing. Um, and maybe, Jeremy, maybe you could introduce kind of what we've, what you guys have primarily done um, in the last few weeks, I guess. Yeah, sure. I, I, and, you know, I, last time I was on in February, I talk, uh, we talked about the podcast, the Zogby Report, Real and Unscripted. And by the way, it's totally unscripted. My dad and I <laughs> get on uh, the the uh, app that we use in the morning and just say, all right, uh, I want to talk about this. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about that. And <laughs> we just roll with it. And yep. um, anyway, uh, as we were chronicling 2020, which is why we decided to do the podcast, because we knew 2020 was going to be so tumultuous, so game-changing, like 1848 or like uh, 1945 or even 1989 on that level of world history, we said, all right, we have to do a report. We have to do an intelligence report. And so that's where we joined with you folks at EMI, uh, the great sample providers, online sample providers. And uh, this is what we brought. We've come up with the Main Street, K Street Intelligenceer. S-E-E-R. And uh, I can I can talk a little bit about that name. And, Dad, you can talk about that name as well. Yeah, sure. um, I'll jump in. And, you know, one of the things that people don't understand about our industry, uh, the opinion research industry, is that it's just as important for us to take a look at projecting forecasting what could happen in the future, not just measuring what's going on now and how, how people feel right now, but what do they anticipate their behavior is going to be? How, is it, how will their minds change under certain stimuli? And so that's where we thought um, we'd have an edge, not only with this project, but really over the years, um, whether it was political forecasting, but I think more importantly, Society, cultural, uh, market, 
uh, forecasting as well, all from the vantage point of Vox Populi. And so that's what we're producing here. We're asking the kinds of questions. What happens after uh, COVID-19? And now uh, what happens after all these demonstrations? Right. And, you know, we were so excited to have these discussions and partner with you on this because, I mean, John, you and your family have been doing this for a long time. You've seen a lot of societal changes. And, yeah, like Jeremy, you said it really well, 2020s. We knew it was going to be a unique year before um, really COVID and the, the more recent protests, um, however you want to call the more recent tumultuous times the last few weeks. So, yeah, we we're super excited to uh, to partner with Don Ewis. And you all are the brains behind the, the research. And so um, maybe can you give just a brief kind of a brief overview of um, intelligence here, what kind of the goals are, maybe um, talk about what's in the questionnaire yeah, sure. Well, in the name, the Main Street, K Street, intelligence here, K Street, obviously the, the big lobby uh, place and uh, street in, in uh, the country in, in Washington, D.C. But, you know, there's it's I guess it's double layered there, there in, in its meaning is that there's such a gap uh, between Main Street and what goes on in Washington, D.C., uh, not only in terms of wealth, but also in terms of information and how they experience life, what they talk about. And so we're trying to bridge that cultural and information gap so that Main Street, um, the, the content that we take is, is relevant to both. It's relevant to policy and lobbyists. It's also relevant to uh, everyday citizens who, who live near or on Main Street. And so we're trying to look at what's important uh, now and into the future so that both can can plan, both can can uh, get ahead and both both can understand each other better. Otherwise, if they don't, um, we see even greater uh, uh, difficult times. So, I mean, some of the things that we're covering in our first edition that came out last week. And by the way, if you're listening and and you want to get this report it's free right now, so I, I, would, I would definitely jump on that, www.johnzogbystrategies.com, and you'll see the intelligence seer tab at the, uh, the top. But, I mean, we're looking at um, how do Americans feel about biometric ID tracking? Um, how do Americans feel about um, AI and robotics powered by 5G? Do they think that it's going to be a leap forward or do they think that it's going to be a leap backwards for human civilization uh trusting science do they think that we should listen to the elite scientists or do they think that the elite scientists have an agenda and that we should also listen to um independent uh scientists and so i mean right now we're going to come out with with uh, edition two and we're going to look at paper currency. You're hearing a lot more about this. Um, the cashless society, Sweden and China are perfect examples of this where people are, are I mean, pretty much they've ditched cash and uh, they're using, uh, you know, through their smartphones, uh, digital currencies. Uh, I'm talking about a national currency, by the way, not distributed ledger technology like like bitcoin so i mean do people think that this cash is going to become obsolete do they think that 
the U.S. debt is unsustainable and that um, our standard of living will drastically be reduced in the years to come. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about some really controversial things, but we're, we're trying to help people know what is likely to happen in the five years as we ask public opinion and key demographics where we, where they stand now and as we track it. Yeah, I think, you know, what's vital to build on uh, what Jeremy just said is that it's, uh, is it first and foremost, the, the COVID-19 and the, the uh, post George Floyd murder uh, demonstrations uh, have accelerated actually changes that were already uh, happening and accelerated them at such a pace that we're watching things unfold in, in real time. So the issue is not simply for talking heads on, on television and elsewhere to be chatting about what they think it means, but what do people know about these things? When they hear that, you know, that they're being laid off and then hearing through the grapevine, they may not be rehired. They may not go back to their job. They may be replaced by artificial intelligence. What does that mean for them? You know, what's their understanding of that? Are, uh, seriously, are they embracing it and understanding then that they're going to have to adjust to that world? They're going to fight it. Um, and and say, look, I, I want my world to stay the way it always is, has been, and I don't want to, you know, move ahead with this technology. The same with issues of race and racism. Um, we're in an inflection point on all of these issues. We're watching a revolution take place. And what is the sense of the, the public mind and the public will on all of these things? Right. And those are great points. And that's one thing I loved about the questionnaire when, you know, we, we got to see it before it was launched and to give feedback. And it goes way beyond, um, you know, lots of people have done COVID research. Everybody has done COVID research, right? We have, we have done our own COVID research. And this goes beyond to really the the impact and the perceptions and the changes. You know, I, I ate out last week, one of the first times I've eaten out at a restaurant. And I found it interesting you mentioned that it's kind of fast tracked what was already happening in innovation and like, you know, take a picture of a menu now, like you scan your phone and there's no paper menus and, you know, all of the artificial intelligence and innovation that's just rapidly advancing because of this. And, you know, there'll be touchless things in the future when they're designing, you know, businesses and restaurants. And those are some of the things maybe on this edition, but in, on some similar topics that we touch on on the survey and we'll analyze and people can read if they go download it. Brian, I saw a neighbor the other day and instinctively I went up to him and we shook hands and that yes. bothered me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not only at that moment, that did not leave my mind for a while. Are we going to hug again? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's changed just, you know, our normal way that we act with each other. Um, do we shake hands in business? Do we hug people that we know? Yeah, that's, I think about that all the time too. But, you know, you do the awkward either fist bump or elbow. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't figured out a society yet. Um, so, Jeremy, 
what other topics are covered on this? Let's see. Um, today's media landscape, vaccinations. Is there anything else that you think people might be interested in? Yeah, yeah. So we want to know what the where the public stands on should should uh, you know if and when that there's a COVID nineteen vaccine should uh, it, it be mandated to all citizens. Um, you know, we, we're also looking at the question of martial law. I mean, we we were talking about martial law on our podcast uh, back in March, and um, I had a sense as I was talking about it in my podcast that I sounded insane. And and actually, I I went back to listen to it, and 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 my my dad's response was okay, millennial, you know, like the okay boomer, <laughs> and uh, right. Well, here we are, and and uh, today, June eleventh, and in the city of Seattle, there is an autonomous zone that has been blocked out, that is being uh, claimed, uh, you know, basically its own city state, I guess you could say, its own zone with its own rule of law, and. They're saying some rapper warlord is uh, trying to take it over and uh, uh, BLM and Antifa are there. And I mean, it just sounds like insanity, riots galore. Um, So, I mean, you know, we we saw Trump wanted to to roll in uh, the the U.S. military into D.C. The Pentagon and uh, Secretary of Defense weren't down with that. But we're tracking this stuff. Uh, I believe nine percent in our survey said it was very likely that they would uh, see it in their lifetime. 23% said it was somewhat likely. Um, so you put those together and you've got almost a third of the population that thinks it's likely. And it seems like it's becoming more realistic day by day. But we don't just get into uh, the data. I mean, the data is very important for uh, from the public opinion side. But we also look at the trends that are happening in the news in the first edition, I talked about how important it was um, that, you know, uh, Joe Rogan, you know, I guess you could say the godfather of the podcast. We all, we all, uh, those of us who do podcasts all aspire to be like Joe Rogan and have millions of views, right? Um, he left uh, to go to Spotify. And I mean, that's just a huge, I guess you could say, bomb to Silicon Valley. And what it what it does is it really challenges, I think, corporate media, because here's a meathead um, who base a self-proclaimed meathead who for three hours, sometimes four hours, will have a conversation with some of the most controversial and some of the most normal, you know, uh, not normal, but I guess you could say uh, typical celebrities or, you know, conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones and I mean, this is what people want to see three hours. Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon and Wolf Blitzer, Sean Hannity can't give you that. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're paying attention to what's going on in the news. Um, and uh, it's 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 more than just data. It's also as my dad and I, you know, read the news every hour on the hour and and over the course of a week or two have a, a good a, you know, sometimes even months we track stuff have a good sense of where this is all going. So we talk, we cover a lot of stuff. Yeah. Then, you know, I'm a avid news watcher and, you know, you mentioned what's going on in Seattle and I'm obsessed with that story. There's so much news going on that it's really hard to almost keep track of it. Like when the demonstrations were going on, what would be a big story like in near, near us, Louisville, Kentucky, 
there was um, a police shooting that's very controversial that drove a lot of the protests that probably contributed to the to the larger protests. And I don't even think that it became a national story. I think people focused on Minneapolis and other cities, but you know, there's so. My point is that there's so much news to, to watch. Like the Joe Rogan situation is a huge story, and it affects us as marketers and societal in so many different ways. And it almost got buried. And so the fact that this is a passion of your all's, and we can, you know, include a lot of these topics in the research um, that are relevant topics is what is my honestly is probably my favorite part of the whole thing is how diverse it is from vaccinations to Joe Rogan, to the political climate, to the media, to 5G and artificial intelligence. And I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was reminded when, when you were talking about how you're, you're a news junkie and it, it sounds like, sounds like you're a beast like we are when it comes to consuming information. I, I, I just have to tell you that it, it gets a lot. And, and you, I yeah. think you kind of alluded to this, that there's so much to cover. There's, there's so much to pay attention to. One person, one mind, even a team of minds just can't possibly stay on top of, of everything. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. When this COVID-19 thing broke out in January and into February, and I was I was following this because I knew it was going to be a game changer. I'm not kidding you. There, there were moments that I became so exhausted by the news that I, I had to lay down on the floor and take a breather and, and just chill out. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially because at least for me, this is this was probably worse from a mentality standpoint, much worse than even 9-11 because it affected everybody. And it was, this has been going on for so long. And there was, honestly, it was depressing story after depressing story um, with the quarantine and the news. I had to turn it off many, many times. And, you know, I noticed that even when I would turn it off, I had to watch comedies, right? Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't watching my normal... Um, normal shows but in some ways we're emerging from that and i'm glad that we can start kind of now we're delving into the impact of this what we've been through as a society um so yeah i'm happy to do that yeah and and we've got good weather we finally have the summer that was a a big thing you know we we were talking about this uh, you know here in upstate new york uh may rolled around and for two weeks we still had snow on the ground in the morning (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we have long days, sunny weather. Um, we're, we're starting to open up. I get to eat at a restaurant with a friend. And so, yeah. Um, so what's coming next? You kind of alluded to it. What the next edition, what, what can people look for in the next edition? Yeah. Well, um, I, right now I'm kind of, I, I'm kind of working it out right now. I've already did a first draft and, you know, the same problem happened the last time with over the weekend, so much of the world changed and I had to rewrite it on Sunday um, you guys got like, you know, nine drafts on Monday because I was trying to keep everything up with, you know, what was changing at light speed. Well, as of right now, the angle is, is money. Uh, just a few things. I mean, today we hit, tr- uh, 26 trillion, the, the national debt hit 26 trillion. Um, when, uh, Trump, uh, entered office, I believe it was 19. Uh, when Obama entered office, uh, I believe it was nine or 10. Um, in the last 50 days, there has been $2 trillion added to the national debt in the last basically two months. So that's uh, the top story is money. And what, what's going to happen to money? Um, 
what do people want to hold in, in terms of assets? That's a question that we've asked. Um, I, I alluded to this earlier. Do, do they think that uh, a paper currency will become obsolete? And if they do, what should replace it? Work, the future of work. Do they think that their jobs will be um, replaced by AI or robotics? How many fear that or, or agree that that's going to happen? Um, I'm going to talk about uh, some parallels that I see today with Weimar Germany. Now, uh, I guess you could go down the road of money printing. Uh, that that is a backdrop, but I'm looking more or less at, you know, on, in Weimar Germany there were paramilitary groups on on both sides of uh, the extreme political spectrum, rolling around like crazy. And you know now we see that with KKK and white supremacists and uh, on the, the left, the redneck revolt and, and Antifa. And, uh, you know, some of these are, are, um, are militias. And so I, I'm, I'm given that historical analogy. And um, uh, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's basically I'm, I'm working that out and tracking what's going on over the weekend. And I think this one's going to be even more explosive than the and last. And Jeremy's historical perspective is so vital. I'm the optimist in the room, and and because um, I, I have to be, uh, somebody has to be. But uh, it isn't just that. It it, it is that um, you know futurists have been talking among themselves, you know, about the end of money, uh, and now I COVID nineteen. Money is dirty. I mean, physically, materially, a very dirty item to exchanging hands and and um, and being dropped in on the ground and uh, and and so on. And so, this in itself is um, is escalating that that tendency. That's on the micro level. On the macro level, uh, yeah. we're talking about deficits worldwide in the, in the United States that represent numbers that you can't find on a calculator that you can't um, you you can't count uh, um, and and growing and uh, you know we've had this conversation before but are we at a at a, a turning point where our deficits are always going to be with us there is no amount of global economic growth that can possibly happen to undo the accelerated pace of these deficits. But what's that mean? What does that mean for you and me? And that's why we ask those kinds of questions. It's it's so fascinating. And Jeremy, you're obviously, you know, you obviously are very knowledgeable about all of these topics that are interrelated. I have a feeling I'm going to put you on the spot, John, is that he gets that from you and, Jeremy, you mentioned a couple of years that you can kind of relate 2020 to. And I'd love to hear from you, John. I've heard of 1968. Mm-hmm. I've heard of other years. Do you, does this year remind you of anything in the past from from a like just a political landscape or a cultural revolution yeah. landscape? Uh, I'll just take two. Uh, you know, what? One, one is 1848, a year of revolutions. There were street revolutions and 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 riots throughout the cities of, of Europe today what we call Eastern Europe and um, and Western Europe and it was caused by um, a rising merchant and capitalist class um, 
attaining enormous wealth, and at the same time, the inequality of it all, those who were working in factories, um, who in many instances couldn't vote or the vote didn't count, but working 12 and 14 hours a day and staying in debt. And what this was was a, a spontaneous uh, revolt that by and large failed as a revolution, but made its mark in the sense that there were a whole series of reforms that began afterward. The birth of public schools, public education is one example. Uh, 1968, of course, is another. And the historian Eric Hobsbawm, a real favorite of mine, has written that, you know, you had a huge vanguard in baby boomers who had gone to college uh, at a higher rate than any other uh, uh, and uh, prior to that who were educated uh, and at the same time were exposed to television and could see inequities, see inequality, see um, a war uh, that either at best they couldn't understand, we're talking Vietnam, or one that they couldn't possibly support. Um, and they were the vanguard um, of, of that year. Uh, riots and revolution in Paris, but also throughout Europe and here in the United States, um, not only culminating in the, de at the, uh, the rioting at the Democratic National Convention, but... Um, uh, uh, also, the student protests, the student classes that had shut down, uh, student reforms um, that, that took place, well as workplace reforms. I think today the vanguard, as you're seeing, are millennials and Gen Z. I and mean, when we talk about race and racism, the, these two age cohorts are the most diverse we've ever had. You know, 40% of millennials, non-white. Uh, you know, 50% of Gen Z in this country, non-white. And so when they're marching, they're marching together as they're living together and going to school together as never before. But I think, you know, what you're also seeing is the growing distrust of all of our institutions culminating to today among, uh, among these two age cohorts. They didn't go into any of this with a fundamental trust of police. They don't trust the church. They don't trust Boy Scouts. They don't trust a lot of things that uh, politics, government, political parties, corporations that, you know, have, have been familiar institutions for us. It was only a question of, um, you know, one very visible outrageous, egregious act uh, that was like pouring gasoline on a, a fire that was already burning. Right. That's that historical um, context is just so key. And I think that, in my opinion, that's why you guys are such a great company and you're such great researchers and why I think people should download this report. Um, one other question is you, you all do a great job, both Jeremy and you, John, you do a great job of talking about the issues um, from a non-political, but you don't have a bias that comes out. Is that a challenge? Like you, you talk about very controversial topics that I'm sure you have personal opinions about, 
but you do so in kind of a middle of the road, just a factual um, method. Is that is that challenging? Because I'm not good at that at all. I my biases come through pretty quickly, I think. But you all are much better at that than I am. Well, we we are a family uh, that has spent a lot of years discussing stuff um, around the dinner table, around the breakfast table, the lunch table, from morning till bedtime. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've we you know we are we are information junkies. I mean, we're a family of teachers. My mother's a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher. Uh, my dad was a teacher. My uncle, my aunt. Uh, I mean, and and. Uh, family on both sides of well-read. So, I mean, we just discuss opinions and I mean, I'm, you know, obviously it, at times it has got uh, heated. It has, you know, <laughs> gotten uh, in, I don't want to say intense, but you know, I mean, passionate. And I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that you get all this practice, right. And then, and then when you're a teacher yourself and then you test ideas and, you know, I taught college and, I, I would come all, you know, revved up and, and, and ramped up with ideas and just watch people's reactions. And, and that's one of the things I do is I, I read people as I talk and I listen to myself, too. And so we I, personally speaking, I, I, I go through a, a layers of, fil- of self-filtering where w- what goes on inside of my head, I test it first in my head and then I speak it and then I see how people react. And that teaches me how do you present something that's objective? How do you present something that is, because that's one thing I do strive, it's very important for me to, to, to be objective. And, and, and I've had many years of practicing that. You know, I, my, my pedigree is, is from the left, but uh, around the, well, the 1980s, I defined myself. I was going to be an independent pollster and th- that's what I wanted to be but I think what what helped me mature was signing a, a multi-year agreement with a very conservative fellow I'm going to mention his name Brad O'Leary I don't think Brad and I personally agreed on anything and in fact you know when when it would come close to election day I would say Brad don't even bother uh, voting because I'm going to cancel you out anyway. But <laughs> right, Brad would submit the questions he'd want asked, and I'd look at them and say, "Oh my God, you really want to ask this stuff?" <laughs> but then I'd stop and think and say, "Yeah, but there are people who f- who feel that way, and what's behind all of these questions that he's submitting are core values." that a lot of folks identify with. So that's when I started doing, taking his questions and saying, State, here's statement A, and it says this. And then from a different uh, point of view, and here's statement B, equally representing a core of values, which comes closer to you. And I learned a couple of things. One is that the other side has... J- genuine values and we need to appreciate that whether we agree with them Mm -hmm. or not and also the other thing i learned is that there are pollsters out there who aim for the academic objective question but to the point where the question becomes so neutered that it becomes meaningless why don't you get right out there and and give people statements and values 
and ask them, you know, what pushes your buttons? And um, uh, and then it's from there that I I hope it comes across that I I've learned to just interpret what it is they're really saying and where the majority may be or where the intensity may be. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. That's, you know, we didn't plan on those, that line of questioning and I really appreciate you all having such amazing thorough answers. Um, so people can download the intelligence here, uh, report at your website. There's a link to it on our website. Uh, it'll be in the show notes as well. Um, and, you know, I'd love to move on. I'd love to hear more about your podcast. I know it's it was new last time we talked to, to you. Um, I was still a listener. I'm still an avid listener. It's one of my favorite podcasts of the week. Because of the things that you're talking about now, you add the perspective of historical significance and the, how all of these stories are kind of interconnected. Um, how's, it, how's it going? Are you all on the groove, it seems like? Oh, yeah. And, and let me just say real quick one last thing about the intelligence here, uh, that, that we, we do offer some solutions uh, aside from forecasts, too. So you get the forecast, and, uh, you know, it, it, a part of it is what do you do with this data? And based on what the trends are pointing to and, and what we're reading, it, we, we try to look for and, and have uh, shown what some opportunities are. Um, but about the podcast, uh, yeah, I mean, we're in the groove. I, I look forward to it. We, we've already, you know, every Thursday we get with our producer or, or the group text, you know, what time are we going to do it? And um, I, I mean, by by now, I like my wife would ask me, you know, Thursday evening, what are you going to talk about? And, and I would be like, I, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I, I, I guess I'm just going to look at the news on Friday and then just decide that I don't even think about it now. I mean, we've done it 22 times. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a real great, um, it's a real great experience. And, and what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to do the whole boomer millennial thing. And, um, you know, little by little, I think we're, we're getting deeper with it. I think that we're, um, we're exploring more dimensions and I would just tell people to look out, uh, because, uh, right now we, we've we've steadily increased I would say the content in in terms of um, adding more depth to it but I, I have a feeling that we haven't even exploded yet and I, I have a, a really good feeling that maybe it'll be an event maybe it'll be something but I, I think that this is is gonna go even uh, further in in terms of what dimensions it can explore and, and offering something completely different that uh isn't even out there yeah i agree it's in this uh called the zogby report i on an avid listener i've always has been so um i'd recommend everybody go out there and subscribe to that um john jeremy thank you so much for joining um this has been awesome i i, I think people will enjoy this report when they download it it's really for anyone democrat republican people just interested in what's going on in the world um, any last thoughts from either of you about it? No, thanks so much for having us. And thanks uh, for our, our partnership on, on this, this project. It's, it's very exciting. We couldn't yeah. have done it without you, without EMI <laughs> research solutions. I mean, really we've worked closely with you folks for a long time and you've been, I mean, you've been like family to us really. I mean, you're, you're our right hand men and women. Well, thank you. That's that's too kind. Um, 
this relationship way, predates way before me. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're happy to partner with you guys as well. And um, thank you so much for joining the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you to the Zogdies. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And next up is Chris Powell of Tometrics. And Chris was someone that has a lot of passion around um, employee engagement. And I think Chris is someone you'll find really engaging. He's just super passionate about his job. You can tell that he loves it. And he's an interesting character. He's somebody that I still need to hang out with because he's on my bucket list of things to do um, and have a patio party with him on his deck and hang out. Um, but I loved interviewing him. And this is, this is probably the most surprising best interview of the year, I think. That, that's that's what I think, Brian. What do you think? I would agree. I think you and I both said at the end of this that Chris would be someone we could easily go have a beer with and just chat. And it'd be we'd be instant friends. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So if you're interested in about employee engagement at all, um, talk a little bit about Cincinnati since he's local. Um, hope you all enjoy the interview with Chris Powell of Tometrics. Joining us now is Chris Powell. He's the CEO of Tometrics. And Chris, thanks for joining. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Excited to talk about Tometrics. And this is a, this is going to be a topic we don't talk about as often as we should. Uh, maybe we can start off by kind of what Tometrics is and what you're what you do there. Yeah, no, no. So happy to tell you. So um, Tometrics, we're an employee feedback research and insights company. So we help companies um, better understand their employee base to drive um, engagement, performance, retention, and productivity. So very similar to a consumer research company, but we focus on uh, the employees within an organization. Okay, cool. How long have you been doing that? Well, Tometrics itself has been around since 2008, and I joined the team in uh, 2014. Okay. And how long have you been in the CEO role? Oh, since um, 2014. Um, so I joined the team right when we pivoted the business um, to focus on building um, a SaaS cloud-based solution, um, which kicked off in 2013, and we got um, the HR Tech Product of the Year award that year, and I joined just after that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And before that, and look at your bio, maybe give us a summary of kind of what you did prior to, to Telemetrics. Well, Brian, that might take us all day. Cause <laughs> yeah. As they say, I'm a little long in the tooth these days, as they say, but um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what uh, a little synopsis there. So prior to joining um, Top Metrics, I spent I started my career in sales and marketing at Ford, Ford Motor Company. I'm a big car hit, so that was like the greatest job coming out of college. But um, then um, shortly thereafter, I started my first entrepreneurial endeavor um, in real estate development with my brother and family. We had a... a commercial and residential um, development firm in Chicago of um, uh, developing um, properties and businesses on the south side of Chicago, which was interesting and fun. But then I realized that was my brother's dream and not my dream. And um, I was uh, moonlighting my real job at that time. I was also working at uh, Northwestern, which is my alma mater, uh, in the admissions office as a, a director of admission. And I got really interested in this whole thing around how do you assess 
and identify talent. Uh, and in this case, recruiting talent to uh, Northwestern. And that's where I get really cut my teeth on the whole my whole talent and HR journey, which I spent um, roughly 20 years in various roles in HR um, at great companies like Marriott, um, ING, which is now Voya here in the U.S., Um, I also worked at Deloitte, and uh, my last tour of duty inside of an organization was with uh, Scripps Networks Interactive, which has been recently acquired by Discovery. But that was the parent company for hopefully some of your favorite brands, HGTV, Food Network, and Travel Channel. And that was a blast. And my last job there, I was the corporate head of HR for about six and a half years. So uh, I cut my teeth working at some rate great companies building um, talent strategies and employer brands to attract and retain some of the best talent out there in those industries. That That's impressive. Very impressive. And a lot of brand names you threw out there that you've worked at. That's, that's awesome. And one thing I'm going to look at your profile, and this is one funny thing that you didn't mention, is that you are also a governor appointed member of the Transportation Review Advisory Council for the state of Ohio. Yes. Well, the reason I mentioned that is that I don't think I've told this on the podcast, but I was recently appointed as a trustee in our township. And so in Columbia Township, where I live, um, I'm a trustee. I wasn't elected. I was appointed when someone moved out of the township. And my first thing I did as trustee was I went to the grand opening of a crosswalk and (laughs) took pictures on a crosswalk with uh, the fire chief. The mayor of Marymount, which is a little suburb of Cincinnati, uh, the owners of 50 West, which is a craft brewery, which is where the crosswalk goes. And mm-hmm. so um, I also have a little bit of transportation background. I wanted to throw that out there. Now, I'm not governor appointed. I was appointed by our administrator. But, you hey, know. hey man, I think all of us should have some civic place some yeah. civic uh, management and government at some point in our career to, so that we can understand how this thing works, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you've done crosswalks. I've done bridges <laughs> and overpasses and ramps. Oh, so, yeah. My- wow. <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's awesome. I agree with you. Like, um, I think it's good for everyone. And this kind of lends itself to to what you do in terms of getting employee feedback. Um Oh, I'll pivot. We don't have to talk about crosswalks all day long. And I'm sorry for diverting that. Um, but so you do employee engagement research. So basically clients come to you and say, I want to know how satisfied my employees are, how engaged they are at work and see if there's rooms for opportunity. Is that is that kind of a, a good summary of that? It's a it's a good summary, Brian. You're in the ballpark, right? So when we say, you know, engagement, we're really looking at a lot of the different factors that influence uh, an employee's um, sense of inclusion, belongingness, performance, productivity, all of those things. So we're looking at a lot of different factors. So engagement is just one of many of the things that companies come to us to help them capture employee feedback on. Um, so, yes, but you're in the ballpark, my friend. You're square in the yeah. Well, we, we actually just did our own. We We do our own employee engagement research and we tested the survey and all of a sudden we just did this what about a month ago brian producer brian's on that committee and we realized wow a lot of these questions aren't relevant these days because (laughs) they're around culture and things so we added some questions around covid probably not very good i'm curious if you've had to pivot when measuring 
employee engagement because of COVID and how a lot of us are working remotely? Yeah, Brian, I mean, you're, you just nailed it, right? Talking about the relevancy of things you measure. Well, one of the things that a premise that we operate with here at Talmetrics is that organizations are dynamic human systems. And so that means they're sensing, feeling, intuitive, ever evolving. And so if you think about all the things that have happened here in 2020, right? So from COVID to uh, racial um, equality and social justice changes, those things that happen outside the workplace influence what happens inside the workplace. So you've got to always be mindful of what new factors or how factors are either more important or less important in terms of you know, um, influence employees at level of engagement or performance or productivity or intent to stay in all those things. So you got to stay on top of it because this this is a dynamic uh, world. I hate I will not use the word unprecedented, but is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will use the word unprecedented because <laughs> I mean, I don't know how. Well. So do you, do you have like a standard battery or is this customized for your clients? To, I guess they probably have different needs, right? Yeah, so we've got we've got what I call our package solutions around these things where we are out doing primary research fairly often because of the dynamic nature of um, work and life these days. So we do a, a, a research study um, quarterly so we can stay abreast of it to update our, our standard diagnostic. But we also work with a lot of our clients to configure or customize the solution to meet their specific things that they're interested in measuring as well. So uh, we, I like to describe us as Burger King, you know, um, <laughs> you can have it your way as long as it's a burger. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you probably, um, you could probably take the data that you're collecting and compare that. We call it norms and you can compare that to other companies, other industries, is that something you can provide the clients as well? Yeah, so we, we, we've got a normative benchmark database that we can cut and slice by uh, other companies, other companies of certain size, a location. And yes, so we can do all of that as, a, as the, 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 my, my team hates when I say slicing and dicing of the data. Like, Chris, can you be a little bit more sophisticated? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're talking like as a layman. That's how most of your people you're talking to they say you should talk at what like a sixth grade level or something so yeah i think it's fine mm -hmm. you, you bring the analysts in to talk all that sophisticated stuff right well the regression model and the <laughs> right the factor analysis yes yes we do all of that too for yeah. the, the folks who know what we're talking about here <laughs> right right um so what what's one of the things that we measure is employee satisfaction and I'm curious how, from your perspective, is that different than like engagement um, or are they the same thing? Oh, my friend, you have entered and have a seat. Let's have a talk. <laughs> uh, yes, they are different. Um, and, you know, oftentimes a lot of people think that they're measuring engagement and they're actually just measuring satisfaction. So let me define satisfaction. Okay. Satisfaction is really getting at the factors or the elements of the employee experience around the offering a company brings to the table. So it's measuring things like uh, pay, benefits, um, 
environment, those kind of things, things that, you know, back in the day, they used to call it, what's the employee value proposition? It's really about the things that the company offers to attract and retain you, right? So those are the things that are, how happy are you with those things? How satisfied are you with those things? Engagement is really about measuring, um, as we like to call the commitment to superior performance or discretionary effort. It is really about how much effort are you willing to bring to the work to deliver um, and perform in an organization? So it gets more at um, measuring intrinsic drivers around the employee experience, whereas job satisfaction is really measuring more of those things that are extrinsic, tangible things that the company is offering or doing on the behalf for you. And engagement is really about, hey, how willing um, are you to bring the effort um, to perform and produce in your role. Well, that was an awesome explanation, first of all. Um, I can go back to earlier in my career. This is starting to make sense for me. In my current role, I am super engaged. I, throughout my career, I kind of built my entire career to get to the point where I am today, where I get to do a podcast and, you know, that's fun for me. I get to meet people like you and goof off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I get to do blogs and white papers and I get to speak at conferences. So I'm super engaged. Um, I'm committed to superior performance. But I don't think most of my career I was. I was probably satisfied, but I was kind of, it was a job. Mm-hmm. And now I have, I guess, maybe passion around what I do, which means that if Brian, producer Brian says, let's do a podcast, I'm going to make sure I fit that in because I enjoy it. And that's my example. And I'm curious if, does this, does this instruct maybe hiring practices to try to find people that maybe have more passion around or, or other factors that will help drive engagement? Or am I kind of, is that a stretch? No, it's not a stretch at all, right? So <clears throat> when you think about, um, you know, we like to always think about engagement as like those things that you bring to the table, the level of vitality, the level of immersion, the level of ownership that you bring to the work. Um, those things can be assessed um, in the recruit, identified and assessed through the recruiting process, um, also through the performance management process. So those are really critical factors for organizations to build capability around to be able to do those things to help employees, you know, rise to the occasion, as I like to call it. Because what we know from our research and experience in this space is that satisfaction um, is a predictor of retention, whereas um, um, engagement is a predictor of performance. Both are very important for an organization to manage and achieve what it needs to do. And so you got to have a balance on both. But when it really comes to a company being focused or an organization or a team, hey, how do we how do we drive innovation? How do we drive performance and profitability and productivity and whatever other measures out there, either guest or customer satisfaction? That is primarily um, coming from the concept of engagement that commitment to superior performance. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, by the way, do you do this with like all size companies? Is there a company too small or too large where you have maybe tougher challenges? No, we 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 work with companies as small as a hundred employees, all the way up to companies that have over fifty thousand employees. But our primary focus, 
I shouldn't say primary. We work a lot with mid-sized organizations that don't always have the staff and resources or the capabilities to bring this level of, um, you know, knowledge and insight um, to the table. Right. Okay. Cool. And when I'm when I'm hearing you talk, you sound like a market research. I guess this falls into marketing research. We haven't done a good job of defining the insights industry or marketing research industry, but I feel like there's a lot of similarities and probably differences between what I would call consumer market research and employee research. It's still like you're using, um, you know, traditional scaling methods, probably when you're designing the questionnaire, you talked about normative databases. You talked a lot about terms that I, you know, we talk about all the time is regression analysis and factor analysis. So it's, it's clearly the same kind of methodology, but I don't know. We don't talk about it, employee research enough, I guess, because it's, you know, it's more internal. It's not, we're not publicly releasing information. I just found that kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, to your point, Brian, um, what got me interested um, in this space, literally, um, as I mentioned to you, I started my career in sales and marketing. And so when I got into the talent space, um, I was an admissions officer at Northwestern, which is really a sales job, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so recruiting and admissions and sales work, right? But you got to know how to market the product. In this case, it was a <clears throat> education um, at Northwestern. But as I matriculated into corporate America, I started to see, hey, as a recruiter at Deloitte or at Marriott, when I first started my career, I was like, I could bring some of the marketing expertise that I got exposed to when I worked at Ford as a um, right out of college and also things I learned when I was an intern at P&G, I could bring that to HR and I'd look like a freaking hero. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I started the first employee marketing um, group at Marriott. And this is way back when, you know, Al Gore created the Internet. We- <laughs> We had right. with the marketing folks to get a uh, get a link on the homepage for careers. So this is how far back that goes, right? And so we, you know, I said it's the same principles and some of the same practices, but we've just got to apply it to the workforce. And right. I got exposed to this work, you know, some back in the mid '90s, and that's what's continued to propel like for HR or an employee population that we should be doing some of the same practices. And I'm fortunate today to be running a company that gets to do that and help companies get that kind of capability right. uh, to apply marketing practices to the workforce. Right. Now that's awesome. Um, so, do you have any like recommendations? for companies um should they you know what if they're not doing any employee engagement research um or maybe a couple of tips that you can offer by the way i bet you have tips on how to improve response rates um because that's something i always struggle with is getting people to respond to surveys um but i'm curious if you have any recommendations yeah i think there's a couple things right as you guys know from the marketing research there's qual um qualitative and quantitative research you can do so if an organization is a little skittish about stepping out to do an employee survey there's so much existing data an organization already has on its employees to understand you know, what's influencing behavior, what's influencing choice and preferences. So, hey, we work with a lot of companies to start there, you know, to kind of figure out what's already happening. And then 
you know, develop a, an engagement survey or a feedback campaign to collect the gaps uh, or focus groups or whatever the tool that we need to. So there's so many ways to get started. And so many companies are sometimes afraid to find out. And we always say, you know, you're getting tons of information and constant feedback from your customers and your vendors. Why wouldn't you want to understand the very people who are responsible um, for executing on your strategy day in and day out of what's happening in their hearts and minds? Because I got to tell you, none of us are the same person every day that we show up at work. We're, <laughs> right. we're, we're influenced and impacted by so many factors. Uh, and so I think it's important for organizations to get that insight. Um, so that's one of the recommendations. Don't get, don't, don't let fear of knowing stop you. We used to have a tagline, stop guessing and start knowing. Cause I can't tell you how many people make major business decisions on hearsay. Yeah. And we always say, you got to have, you know, you can go on, you can use that as a data point, but don't make it the only data point, right? And yeah, we have a frame here that we talk with our clients about, hey, tell us what you feel, tell us what you think, and tell us what you know. And our job is to help you know. And that's what we do on the employee research side of the house is give them data and evidence to help them make better business and talent decisions. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing that we should be, we're doing our end is we're trying to help our clients reduce risk. Yeah. That's how we talked about it. And that's what you're doing is, yeah, that's a good data point, but you need to kind of validate that and you can help them validate that. Exactly. You know, when I was um, head of HR at Scripps Networks, I remember uh, my uh, CFO colleague, Pierre, would always like, well, well, Chris, how do you know this? You know, Give me some right. points, right? And he he beat it in me so bad. <laughs> I still got the scars. And so I, <laughs> I made it a point to make sure that, hey, I would tell you what I thought. I would tell you what I would feel about something. Because, you know, leaders also lead from gut as well. So I'm not saying you don't need that. But I'm also going to bring some data and facts for you. Yeah. To help support the case. Cool. Mm-hmm. I went on your website and you, you don't just do like your traditional employee engagement. I see um, diversity inclusion climate survey and um, that's such a hot topic. And producer Brian Peterson and I are working on some diversity inclusion stuff with, with some data that will be pretty cool. So that's of interest to me, remote work experience survey. So you all do some other stuff as well, right? Yeah, we will do uh, <clears throat> anything related to the organization um, performance and effectiveness to employee performance and effectiveness, we, we, we are capable of measuring. As you mentioned right now, uh, diversity and inclusion is a really hot topic for organizations. And so we're fielding a lot of culture and climate surveys right now, helping organizations understand those unique voices and experiences in their organizations so they can figure out, hey, what do we need to do to be more um, <clears throat> diverse and inclusive and equitable organization. So it's a, um, a really interesting time from that perspective. Awesome. Um, I feel like I learned a lot about employee engagement and what you guys do, but I think I'm ready to have a little fun with some four P's. How do you feel about that? Four P's? I'm ready for it. Bring All right. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know, we took the traditional marketing mix, uh, the four P's. We changed it up. We have our own piece. Some of them are kind of fun, but trying to get him get to know him a little bit better. And so the first P that we have is perform. And I'm curious 
I'm curious if you have a hidden talent or something we don't know about you. Well, you, well, you wouldn't know that from anything on the web because I, I, I don't. Well, maybe, maybe not. But I, I, <laughs> I love to cook. So, yeah. and with COVID being around, I'm like cooking up a storm. I've been ordered, I've got new toys in the kitchen that I've never had before. So, <laughs> it, it's um, yeah. So, one of my hidden talents is um, cooking. And so, working at when I was working at Scripps with Food Network. And oh yeah, Food Network Kitchen was just like oh, it was like a kid in heaven. <laughs> you you went to the Food Network Kitchen when it was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was I, I would host meetings there just so I could get the. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did, did they all move to Nashville, or are there still jobs here? Do you know? Um, well, Scripps Network is still primarily in um, Knoxville and New York now. Okay. Really. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, next P. By the way, what what do you what's your favorite thing to cook? Uh, Italian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just FYI, I just um, experimented. I, I have what I call test kitchen, and I just experimented making a pesto with uh, zucchini, basil. It was just amazing. Oh man! I do my own pasta. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm that guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, next P pandemic what's something fun or quirky you've started doing since the quarantine started we've had this p for a few weeks i used to talk about it all the crazy stuff i've done the most famous of which chris is that i got addicted to marble racing and so i'm a huge sports fan and when sports went away in march i was craving some sort of competition and i stumbled upon a youtube channel of marble racing and got obsessed with it i still watch it every sunday afternoon so Curious, what kind of something quirky or interesting or that you've done since the quarantine started that's kind of different? <laughs> well, I have mastered uh, my hosting skills of rooftop socializing. <laughs> All right, let's hear more of that. That's awesome. Yeah, well, you, you, I'm that guy, like, you know, if it's something that's going to create an experience, yeah, I'm going to curate the experience. So I've got this whole experience with friends come over because I'm not having them in my house because everybody knows <laughs> about that. And I live in a condo, so I'm not, uh-uh, we're not doing that. And so I'm like, I will host you on my rooftop, though, so yeah. <laughs> of the building. But yeah, it, it depends. I've got a whole setup for cocktails. I've got a whole other thing I do if it's a meal included. Yeah, you know, including um, ambiance setting i did a a little beach party on the rooftop that's awesome that's one of that might be that's a top two definite pandemic answer um, because it's a useful skill and it's fun and unique that's awesome well and the the challenge is it's getting cooler now so i've got to get even more creative when we don't have a fire pit on our on our rooftop i've got to figure out something well it's part of my township trustee we just got a grant to give restaurants heat lamps. And there's a back order on heat lamps. I guess everybody's trying to get heat lamps for this, you know, to eat outside during the fall and winter. But there's a huge back order on heat lamps. So if you want a heat lamp, you better get it in line, I think, because it's early October. They're probably gone. I don't think my condo association <laughs> bring up my um, – you remember the old school heaters? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're going to let me bring that up, but yes. Okay. I got I, I, I'm going to work on something. <laughs> All right. 
Oh, um, next P is podium. Um, top three of something. You can pick the category. Um, you know, it could be favorite country you visited, favorite food, favorite anything sports related. That's always good. Love to hear if you have a podium. We can talk about it. Hmm. hmm. Well, I, since I mentioned earlier, I'm a car guy, right? Yeah. I'm going to go my top three cars, right? We haven't done this one. Never. This is awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So top three cars ever since I was a kid, and I still haven't gotten this one yet, the Porsche 911 SC Targa. Gotta get it. Gotta get it. And people are like, Chris, you're not on a Mazda. I'm like, dude, you don't understand. Right? Okay, so uh, a Porsche 911. Then second top three in that is a 1979 Mercedes-Benz um, 560 SL convertible. And you wonder why that one is on there. So growing up, um, I don't know how old you guys are. However, Wonder Woman, yeah, oh yeah, heart, they both drove convertible Benzes, and I said I gotta have one. <laughs> and so for a milestone birthday, that is a gift to myself at some point. I won't tell you what milestone I'm having to push it to, but it's coming. Uh, well, if you watch Wonder Woman, we're about the same age, so. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know which milestone I'm approaching, so I can I can guess. Yeah, the whole nine yards, right? Okay. Um, that's two. Do you have another one of those? Yeah, I got another one, and it's the uh, the current Lamborghini SUV. Oh that my god, it is beastly. Um, I am not a car guy. Producer Brian, are you a car guy? What do you think of this? Yeah. Yeah. That thing is nice. I'm looking at this Lamborghini. That, oh my goodness. Right? <sighs> wow. The Lambo is in the Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche. As you can you can see a theme with me. I'm an Audi um, fan, yeah. Volkswagen family fan. But, uh, yeah, that theme, uh, that'd be a nice to have. And, you know, the holidays are coming up. And I have a birthday coming up. Maybe oh, so, my goodness. You know. So much to celebrate. Right, 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 right. Maybe it will be under the tree this year. Who knows? <laughs> I'm rooting for the 1979 Mercedes Benz 560 SL. That's what I'm rooting for you. There you go. I'll take that one too. <laughs> um, let's go to the bonus P. My favorite newest P is um, Publix and Prince. And I would love to know if you have a public story and or a print story. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Publix or Prince? Well, can I give you both? Because I got, I got two. Right? Please, please give us both. All right, so public. So I lived in Atlanta, Georgia for well, Atlanta and Knoxville both have publics, and I lived in those two markets for okay. call it about almost twenty years, right? <clears throat> and so, um, if you've ever been in a Publix, they have the pre-prepared food area where you can get roasted chicken, fried chicken, and all this. They have. Yeah, a- I get the I get the chicken pub club pub sub. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, what you're talking about? They have these wings called Mardi Gras. They're these, I don't know what seasonings are on them, but they are just, they're like crack to me. <laughs> That's awesome. And we have, 
This all started, actually, we have a co-worker who we thought was crazy because every year around Thanksgiving, she drives to the closest Publix to Cincinnati, Ohio, which is about, I guess, about a four-hour drive. And she stays the night solely to shop at Publix. And she does this every year. They know who she is. And we thought she was crazy. And so earlier this year, I went on a trip to Publix with her and just to try to experience it. And now I understand the appeal of Publix. And I'm going to try those Mardi Gras rings next time I'm there. That sounds awesome. Well, yeah. You know, I think the closest one, Knoxville, is not that far from Cincinnati. So you could get there in three hours. So, hey, there you go. Um, And then you might have a Prince story. Oh, I've got a Prince story. So my very first concert that my parents let me attend was the 1999 tour that Prince had in 1982. I went with my best friend, Wayne, who's no longer with us. Uh, and let me tell you, I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was a teenager. So I won't say old, but I was a teenager and I went to that concert and was just like, to this day, I am still a Prince, Prince fan. Uh, just a musical genius. Yeah. Where did, do you remember where you went? Where was this concert? Oh, this concert was at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. In nineteen eighty-two, that is amazing. On February second, I believe. Wow, that was before. That was right as he was really blowing up and becoming mainstream, right? Yes, yes, yes. I still have his very first album for you on vinyl and eight track. (laughs) Eight track. All right, I um. I forced the entire office when we were allowed to be in the office to watch Purple Rain, and we did commentary the whole time. I didn't realize, like, that movie couldn't be made today because there is a lot of adult topics and things that you don't really want to – I mean, there's some domestic violence, and it's bad, but it's it's fascinating. It's one of my favorite movies. I think it's – it's just interesting to me that movie, but that is a, that is an amazing print story. That is cool that you went to that. I'll, I'll give you one other little hint. Our company colors are green and purple. <laughs> oh, that's how right. that's how serious it is. Well, <laughs> next time I'm downtown, I'm gonna be looking for that green and purple flag, and so I'll look for it. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Um, you've been awesome on here, and I'd love. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, is there a website or an email address that people can reach out to you? Oh, sure. On the website, it's um, www.talmetrics.com. And if you want to reach me directly, you can catch me at Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L, at talmetrics.com. Do, do you think you'll get more feedback on the employee engagement or your cooking or prints, I I think it might be even. I you know what it might be even. I think because so. somebody's gonna call me for that recipe of the pesto sauce I made with bikini. <laughs> uh, yeah, on the rooftop. That sounds good. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining. It has been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope people do reach out to you. They should be doing more employee engagement. Now is the time to do it to start measuring how engaged and satisfied your employees are. Um, so please reach out to Chris. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian and Brian. 
And thank you to Chris. Um, awesome interview. Um, good, good to get to know him a little bit. I hope you guys enjoyed the Best of Intellicast podcast today. This is the first one. We'll have two more coming out later this year. And I hope you all are having a good holiday if you're off work. If you're having work, I hope you're also having a good holiday because it's probably not very busy. And um, talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.